That is true. There is no other God before you, beside you, or after you. There will never be another God. We thank you, Lord, that none of us will ever be gods. We just thank you that you're so faithful and so great and so loving and so merciful, so righteous, so holy. And you're our dad all at the same time. What a privilege. And Lord, I just pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Lord, we come humble and broken before you. We know, Lord, that without you we can do nothing. And I ask, Lord, for the sake of your people tonight, that you would use this marred and imperfect vessel that you might be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Go ahead and turn to Judges. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through Judges. We'll be in chapter 20 tonight. Lord willing, we'll finish up Judges next week. And then we will be in the book of Ruth. Because it's next. Amen. All right. Well, as we've been seeing in the last few chapters of Judges, while you're turning there, you'll remember that the first 17 chapters, actually 16 or 17 chapters roughly, was really a timeline of 400 years of depravity in, among the children of Israel, where they would be walking with God, they would be doing well, the judge would die, they'd fall away from God, they'd fall into rebellion, they'd finally get to the end of themselves, they'd cry out to God, he'd bring them another judge, he'd deliver them out again. 400 years of that. When you get to the last five chapters, it's just an additional portion that goes back to the beginning of the book mainly and talks about what's happening in normal everyday people's lives in the midst of all of this. And so we get to the last couple chapters of that tonight and remember that really what we're dealing with is a time when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And if you remember, when everyone does what is right in their own eyes, how's that working out? Not too good. And what we've seen so far has actually been just a, a total disaster. From Micah making his own gods. By the way, if you make your own god, what kind of god are you serving, right? And he made his own gods, hired his own priest, had his own form of worship. And then the Danites came along the next chapter and stole his gods and stole his priest. If your god can be stolen, what kind of god are you serving? If you can make him or if he can be stolen or lost, it's not good. And so he, his, their gods get stolen. They, we know the Danites rejected what God had for them and went to the exact opposite land, to an easier place that was for them, a temptation we all have. Here's God's plan. Oh, a little too tough. I think I'll go my way. Oh, here's God's plan. You know, there's kind of some temptations along the way. I think I'll go my way. And this is what the world continues to do today, and those are examples we've seen in the book of Judges so far. Now, if you weren't here last week, You can get the tape, but you don't have to because it's a pretty gnarly chapter. But it's in the Bible for a reason, amen? But last week's chapter, we saw a man who was uniquely called by God. He was a Levite. And a Levite is a man that God has called to be a spiritual leader. About the closest thing you had to a pastor in those days. He was called by God to serve in the tabernacle alongside the priest. He was called to interpret the scriptures. The law, if people had a dispute or a question, they would come to the Levite, he would open up the scriptures, the law of Moses, which is what they had in those times, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would open it up and he would translate the truth for them. Now sadly, we saw there have been some pretty horrific Levites. It's really tragic. But again, there's nothing new under the sun because there's some pretty horrific pastors today. Amen? 
Is that true or not? People, you know, guys, just because someone's been given a title or a position or a name doesn't mean that they're called by God or they're walking in faithful obedience to Him. Amen? And if anybody demands that you call them by a title, run away. I'm the apostle. No, you're not. And you know what? Again, I'll never ask anybody to call me pastor. And if you choose to call me that, that's fine. But when you do, I hear servant because that's what pastor means. And it's a reminder to me I'm here to serve you and to minister to you guys. But I'm a sinner saved by grace just like the rest of you. And if you don't believe that to be true, just talk to one of my family members. It's an absolute fact. Well, this Levite, who was set apart by God, what kind of man was he? Well, he was a train wreck. Because he was set apart to, again, give the word to the people. And what kind of lifestyle did he live? Well, he wasn't living where he was supposed to live. And then he had a woman on the side, a concubine. A concubine is a fancy term for a legal mistress. It was a mistress that everybody knew you had. Here's my wife and here are my concubines. Now, if he was one of the ones interpreting the law, Genesis said one man, one woman for a lifetime. Amen? That is God's highest, that is God's will, that is God's plan. And here you have a guy who's supposed to be teaching that, living the opposite of it. But things only got worse for him, as we know, because he went, after she left, and she started sleeping with other men, and then she took off and went to her dad's house, and he goes and chases her down because he misses her. And when he finally gets her, what does he find? He finds her, but then he starts drinking and partying with this, quote, father-in-law, the father of the mistress. And he stays there five days and just gets drunk and has a party for five days. Again, this Levite, supposed to be a teacher of the law, was living contrary to it. Things only got worse. He finally did leave, but when he left, he left too late to get home. This is what happens when you've been drinking. When you've been drinking, you do dumb stuff. Is that true or not? And so you, he started late. He never was going to get home in time, so he had to stop somewhere. And he went right by Jerusalem where the Jebusites had taken over and where God had called the Benjamites to go in and rid them, but they didn't do it. Why? Because the Jebusites were really big. Again, God said, but I, I don't think so. God told them to do it. Oh, maybe not. These guys are big. Let me find some place where there's little people who have no weapons and are sleeping. Let's go get them. And instead, so the Benjamites went into, some of them went into the city of Gibeah. Well, into the city of Gibeah goes this Levite and his concubine and his servant, and they have some, you know, maybe some more servants traveling with them. And when they get into the city, there's no hotels in those days. They spend the night out in the city square. While sleeping out in the city square, another a, 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 a guy from Ephraim, Ephraimite, which is what this Levite was, saw them in the city square, knew it was dangerous, and said, Hey, where are you from? Oh, we're from Ephraim. We're on our way home. Oh, well, you come and stay with us. Come and stay with me. So they go into this Ephraimite's house, and we notice right off the bat they start drinking again. Nice guy, this Levite. So he's drinking, and a pounding on the door comes, and who is it? It's the men of the city, and I hate to be blunt, but it's in the Bible, wanting them to send this man out so the men can have sex with him. It's in the Bible. Now, this is tragic because these are Benjamites, which means they are children of God, right? They knew the word of God. How far away have they gotten from the Lord? When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, it's a disaster. And so what happens is they cry out for this man. They go, well, we're not going to send the man out, but here's what I will do. I'll give you my young, the man who's there says, I'll give you my young daughter instead. 
Now, again, these are the kind of, do you want to slap this guy or what? Somebody shows up at my house, the last thing I'm going to do is give them my daughter. You got to shoot me 12 times and, and, you know, probably while I'm dead, I'll be tackling you. You know what I mean? There's just no way that's happening. What kind of man is that? Well, not only that, he offers up the concubine as well. Now, he says he went to find her because he loved her. But we know that's not true. Because love is not a word, it's an action. And if someone says they love you and they don't act like they love you, they don't love you. And so this Levite, what does he do? He gives the concubine to the people, to these men. I'll have her. So he sends her outside and he shuts the door. And what does he do? He goes to sleep. She's out there all night. And again, hate to be graphic, but it's in the text. She literally is raped and abused all night till she dies. Her last bit of strength, she crawls to the doorpost where her Levite husband was and falls over dead at the doorpost. Then it says in the text, he woke up the next morning and he opens the door and sees her laying there. What does he say? Get up, let's go. Man of great compassion. He was sleeping. He sees her laying there dead. He says, get up, let's go. This is why you do not want to marry a man who's not on fire for God. I don't care how many titles he's got behind his name. I don't care what position he has. I don't care what people say about him. You want to spend some time in a courtship relationship and see that he indeed is on fire for God. You know what this concubine was? This concubine was like many relationships today. It was a relationship where the man got what he wanted from the woman with no commitment. That's exactly what it was. So she's dead. What does he do? He puts her on his donkey. He carries her back to his house. And then in one of the most bizarre things you'll see in all of Scripture, man inherently good, he cuts her into 12 pieces and sends a piece out to each of the 12 tribes. It's his message to rile them up about what had happened to his concubine. That brings us to our chapter tonight. Exactly. And if you weren't, you just heard it all, so you don't need the tape at this point. Now, last week we were talking about the depths of man's depravity. Tonight we're going to talk about dealing with depravity. If you're living in the midst of depravity, how should we now live? And if you, weren't aware, if you haven't been paying attention, you are living in the midst of depravity. We live in a, in a nation right now that is very ungodly. Now we're the remnant here, Amen. And, I, and as I said last week, I'm as patriotic as anybody. I love my country. I'm blessed to live here. But I am not an American first. It's about eighth on my list. I'm a Christian first. And a husband. And a father. And a pastor. You know, down to down. And then I'm an American. And I'm glad to be one. And I would fight for this country. And I'm, I'm blessed to be here. But I'm not of America. I'm of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Amen. And we as a country, were, we were a great nation for so long because we as a country were of Jesus Christ. And we're getting to be less and less of Jesus Christ and it's being reflected in what's going on in the world around us. So in tonight's text, we're going to witness Israel's response to the Benjamites and Gibeah's uh, atrocious, atrocious behavior, these behaviors of depravity. Number one, we're going to see the people unite against wickedness. You know what? One thing that wickedness does do, it makes righteous people unite against it. And that's a good thing. When 9-11 happened, what happened to the churches? They were full. 
a sudden, I better go to church. Not only that, people that were fighting with each other were now all on the same side, weren't they? Republicans and Democrats were all on the same side. People that were against each other were all on the same side. You know, a guy driving an SUV and the guy who was hugging the tree were, were hug, hugging each other. People that are against, you know, they're against everything. We're all of a sudden, we're all on the same side. Why? Because we have a common foe and a common evil. We're going to see that in tonight's text. In the midst of rebellion, when someone does something even more rebellious, the people unite together. Sadly, though, we're going to see the second point. The rather than acknowledge their brother's sinful behavior, the Benjamites are going to choose to defend it. Here is something that we can all fall in the trap of doing. We can defend the sinful behavior of our family members and think we're doing something good for them. Can I tell you right now, do not defend their sinful behavior. Don't defend it, don't prop it up, don't make excuses for it, call it what it is. In love. Amen? Because if you love them, you know, your friends stab you in the front. Amen? If you love someone enough, you'll love them enough to confront them in love. And say, this is wrong. When we think we're, and we'll talk about this as we get to it, but we think we're helping them out, we're not. Thirdly, Israel's going to make a righteous stand and they're going to suffer anyway. That's a word for many of you in this room tonight. You can make a righteous stand at work and suffer for it. You can make a righteous stand with a family member and suffer for it. You can make a righteous stand with someone else in this room and they may give you some grief. Well, guess what? God sometimes allows that to happen. Because ultimately it's not about our comfort but His glory. And ultimately God will do things that will in the end bring about us having a greater relationship with Him and that's far more important. And then lastly we'll see the source of victory over depravity. What is the source of victory over depravity? What is it? We're going to see it tonight. It's very clear in the text in my mind. And I pray that we'll all walk out of here having a better understanding of it. So dealing with depravity. Number one, the people unite against a common wickedness. Look at verse 1 of Judges 20. So all the children of Israel came out. All the children of Israel. How many tribes were there? Twelve. Now, if you take the Benjamites out, you still really have 12, don't you? Because if you'll remember, Manasseh was split in half in a sense. So you have two half Manassehs, but you have a total, again, of 12 tribes. And now what happens is all of them came out upon receiving this message. Because where did he send these 12 pieces? To the 12 tribes. And there must have been a messenger who delivered it or a note that came with it because when they got the piece of this woman, they also got the message of what had happened, at least in a, a rough over, you know, an overview sense, to the point where every person who received it got angry, righteous anger, and said, this cannot be. And so when this message was sent, they all received it. And all of the children of Israel, who up to this point have kind of gone their own directions, haven't they? The tribes are going their own way. Well, this is my land. This is my land. This is my land. Now, even two and a half of the tribes, if you guys have been coming to the Old Testament, remember, they settled outside the land of promise. Look what it says. All the children of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northernmost tip of Israel. Beersheba is the southernmost. So you hear people say from Dan to Beersheba. That just means all of Israel. From Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south. You know, from Canada to Mexico, if you're covering our territory, right? From the border of Canada to the border of Mexico, from, the, from Dan to Beersheba. But then it also says, 
as well as from the land of Gilead. Gilead was where the two and a half tribes settled outside of the land of promise. How big of an impact did this message going out have? Even the guys who were on the other side of the Jordan crossed over into the land of promise where they should have been all along to unite with their brothers to deal with this atrocity. It was so heinous to them These people who were in rebellion, and remember, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, yet this was so bad, it made them all say that's wrong. Now isn't it amazing that there's always something bad enough that will make most people say that's wrong? You know, I did prison ministry for four and a half years. They're all in prison, right? All of them. Yet there are people in prison that are looked down on by the prisoners because of the crime they committed. If you abuse a child, you're in trouble in prison. Big time. You're usually in protective custody somewhere. Because the guys who were there who killed seven people don't like you. And they're not getting out, so what's eight? You know what I mean? So the point is, even in prison, there are those that look down on certain crimes as being worse than their crime. Well, here's what's happening. They're all doing what's right in their own eyes. They're walking in rebellion against God, but then they hear about this atrocity, and all of a sudden, well, that's worse. And so we better go and deal with that. There's still a sense in the midst of this rebellion of right or wrong, still some respect for the laws of God. In their midst of a rebellious people, it often takes a much more drastic level of wickedness in their eyes to get people's attention. Until something so depraved happens that it gets the attention of the most ungodly people, there's an attitude during a rebellious time of live and let live, right? Everybody do what's right in your own eyes. It's all good, man. Hey, as long as you're not bugging me, man. I don't care. Go for it. That's Santa Cruz, isn't it? Man, it's, hey man, what's everywhere floats your boat, dude, man, right on, cool, do it. Just don't do it in my yard, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the mentality that we hear. But there's a point where those who have justified their own sin are hit in the face with sinful behavior so wicked they can't justify it. An action so repulsive that it causes even those who would disagree with one another to unite against the wickedness. Action so deprived that crosses the line that even the most rebellious and ungodly come together. Now, where do you know where a society is as a whole? We'll get back to the text in a second, but I want to point this out. How do you know where a society is as a whole? What is it that causes them to take notice? How bad does it have to be before they take notice? That will tell you where the society is at. Now, 50 years ago, people were outraged by things like divorce. People were outraged by it. Adultery. They were outraged. People blaspheming the name of God was an outrage 50 years ago. Now, homosexuality was seen as deviant, sinful behavior. Virginity was treasured. As something that was wonderful. Now it's mocked. Today, when abortion, adultery, blasphemy, fornication, pornography, drunkenness, homosexuality, pride and greed are all seen as ordinary aspects of everyday life, shock is reserved only for the most outrageous things. 
Do you remember the first time you heard about a drive-by shooting? I was blown away. I'll never forget when I heard about it. It's probably 15 years ago. I was like, what? Somebody drove down the street and just sprayed bullets and a child was killed? That's outrageous. You know what's sad? Years later, it's like, oh, another one. Now, it still breaks your heart, but you're not shocked by it anymore. That gives you an idea where the society is at by what shocks us. And it's so sad that very little shocks us anymore. Isn't that true? We've been desensitized to sin. This is where Israel was at. This, this crime had to be so heinous to shock them. Today, what shocks us? Maybe the abuse and murder of a child. 9-11 sure got our attention. That shocked us, didn't it? And it united us together as a nation. While we should be united by outrage, in outrage against those types of sins, we should be just as grieved and united in our outrage and heartbreak for the number of innocent babies that were killed today. Have we got desensitized to that or what? What's the answer? You know how many babies were killed today? 4,000 in the United States. You know how many in the world? 142,000. Today. Today. Since 1973, Roe vs. Wade, 42 million babies have been killed in the United States. And 52 million every single year in the world. And we're desensitized to it. Why? Because it's become common. And we shouldn't be desensitized to it. Amen? Now, in this room, I know there are no doubt some women here who've had an abortion. I want you to know the Lord forgives you. Amen? And maybe some dads here. You fathered a baby. God forgives you if you've asked Him to forgive you. But you know what? We should not fall asleep about things that grieve the heart of God. And because we have, we're no longer outraged by anything else. Everything else is becoming common. A society's depravity is revealed by what produces outrage among its people. And here in the text, it, was, it took a merciless rape and abuse of a young concubine unto death to finally wake these people up. To finally get them to just go, that's wrong. Now look what it says. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. This was such a horrendous crime that the people actually gathered together as one. When they were in rebellion in all different directions, kind of like 9-11, all of a sudden everybody shows up at church. Something very vile and wicked happens, everybody comes together and says, that's wrong. And they gathered together before the Lord at Mizpah. Mizpah was the city right on the border of Judah and Benjamin. The word Mizpah means a watchtower. And it was right next to Shiloh. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was set up where the Ark of the Covenant was, where they went, would go to make sacrifice. And so they've all gathered together there. And when they get there, they stand before the Lord. You know, the truth is they had not been acknowledging the Lord very much. Again, when there's tragedy, don't people start looking up? I'll never forget when I was down in Southern California and it was one of the, it might have been the first time we went desert storm in Iraq and all that. And I'm in the dentist chair, and the guy knew I was a pastor. I was working full time, but he knew I was a pastor. And he just started asking, "Do you think that this is part of the end times?" And do you, you know? And then, and then he said, "Man, I need to go to church on Sunday. I need to get back to church." I'm like, "Bro, you need to get back to church if the Lord didn't come back for a hundred years. You need to get back to church. You need to get back in love with the Lord, Amen? Amen. And we need to make sure that we're not just using him as fire insurance." 
He's just not the thing that we hang on to when things get really tough. We need to fall in love with the Lord. Well, they come before the Lord, and God is using this tragic thing to bring them all together. Then verse 2. And the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in an assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now, are they taking this serious? So, certainly this has struck a chord. 400,000 foot soldiers soldiers show up with swords in their hands ready to go fight they've been stirred up among them are the princes of the tribes the head of the families the rulers of thousands and hundreds and fifties and all the tribes of israel are there except for benjamin benjamin by the way did get one of the pieces of the concubine and the note but they chose not to show up this ought to give you an idea just how depraved the benjamites had become Where everybody else is stirred up by it, they're not even stirred up by this. They're so seared over at this point, they would rather protect their family than do what is godly. And guys, we, you know what? The Bible says, unless you hate your mother and father. Does that mean you're supposed to hate your parents? No. It means that your love for God should be so great that your love for everyone else in comparison is like hatred. I love God so much that my love for everybody else is way down here compared to my love for God. And if that's true, we don't turn our back on God for the sake of our family. And that's what the Benjamites are doing. They don't even show up. Now, what's interesting, they come united as brothers. They presented themselves to the assembly of the people of God. They came together as the people of God, presenting themselves before the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 13, it gave them instructions on what they were supposed to do in these kinds of circumstances. And it says this, you can look there later. If you hear someone in your cities, which is of the Lord your God, has given you to dwell and saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed inhabitants of the city and say, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and search out and ask diligently, and if it is indeed true that certain such an abomination or any other abomination such as these was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroy all that is in it, its livestock with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its plunder to the middle of the street and burn burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. How does God feel about idolatry and other such abominations against His name? He says, burn the city to the ground. So these people have all gathered together, and the appropriate punishment, I believe, for Gibeah is going to be, that's an abomination in the sight of God, what's happening there, isn't it? They're out of control. They're so far away from God, they've turned themselves over to a reprobate mind, as it says in Romans chapter 1. And they're, they're seared over, and they don't hear God anymore, and God says, okay, righteous judgment. So the 400,000 soldiers are there, they're ready to go into battle. And it says this, Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone to Mizpah. They want to make it very clear that we know that the children of Benjamin heard and chose not to show up. Everybody else came. Benjamites didn't come. And then it says, Then the children of Israel said, Tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? They looked to the Levite, a man who's supposed to be a spiritual leader in their land. They don't know this guy really, like we do. But they ask him, tell us what happened. And you're going to notice he tells the story and what he does say is true. But it's convenient how he leaves out the things he did. Or they might have started the fire with him. Because look what it says. He might have been the wick. Look what it says. 
So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. He doesn't even tell him about the drunken party. Doesn't tell him how they ended up getting there. Doesn't tell him that they got there late because he'd been drinking half the day away. And that's the reason they got there late. And the men of Gibeah, verse 5, rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me. But instead... I gave them my concubine. That's not what he says. Instead, I gave my concubine, and I went in the house and locked the door and went to sleep. Now, that's what happened, right? That's not what he says. He says, but instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces. Now, where do you get this thought? I got no idea. And sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So the Levite says, okay, you're all here. Eleven of the twelve tribes are here. 400,000 foot soldiers are here. Here's what the Benjamites did. Here's what happened. What should we do about it? And he's asking his brothers Again, for other children of Israel. But notice again, he leaves out everything that he had done. Showing her no compassion, or pushing her outside, sleeping, saying, come on, let's go. Give us your advice. Having given the evidence, the Levite now calls for the verdict. Here's the verdict, verses 8 through 11. So all the people arose as one man saying, none of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house, but now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel. A hundred out of every thousand. A thousand out of every ten thousand to make provisions for the people. That when they come to Gibeah and Benjamin, they may pay all the vileness. They may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. Do you see how a common evil brings together people who have really were kind of opposed to each other in a lot of ways? They've gone their own way, but all of a sudden they have a common foe, a common enemy, and in the midst of this depravity, here's how they're going to deal with it. They're going to come together and go and attack it. Basically it says, we're not going to go home. We're not going to go back to our jobs. We're not going to take a good night's rest. We're not going to attend to any business until justice has been done. We're going to bring righteous judgment upon this sinful behavior. I never saw more flags flying on cars than after 9-11. Right? Why? Because we were united. Matter of fact, I just on Clean Films recently saw, Clean Films where they edit all this stuff out, I saw another movie about 9-11. And I will openly confess to you that watching it made me angry. They actually showed Muslims praying as they were on the plane. He said, praise be to Allah while he slit the throat of the stewardess. And you think, yeah, there's a God of love and grace and mercy. Allah is not another name for Jehovah. Amen? Allah is another name for Satan. Is that true or not? He's a false God. And so we see that, and they're worshiping this false, and you just get angry. It just makes you mad. Why? Because you see them, from the, in the name of their God, slaughtering people. And that, that you know, stirs up righteous anger. And this is what was happening in Israel. They were stirred up because, who are these guys to be doing this? 
But even worse, these were their fellow children of Israel that did it. These were their cousins. This was their family that was doing it. This act of terrorism got their attention, made them examine their own behavior, immobilized them into action, it unified them to go out after Bin Laden, I mean Benjamin, and to deal with the depravity. To deal with the depravity. They were stirred up together. We're going to go after Benjamin. Not unlike going after Bin Laden in this case in response to what's happening here. So dealing with depravity, number one, it united the people against the gross wickedness. Number two, we're going to see that not all people respond that way. That those who the wickedness is being done within their own family, rather than acknowledge the sin, defend it. Is that the world we're living in today or what? Why are people so offended by the word sin? Because today, people don't want anything to be sin. Oh, that's not sin. Because we love each other, so it's not sin. As long as we really love each other, and we're going to get married someday. No, it's sin. Amen? Well, yeah, but I really needed it, and there's a reason why, and I've got this... I got this disorder, and that's, you know, everything's a disorder, and everything's an illness, and everything's a something, and I'm as responsible for nothing. Everything I do is because of whatever I got. You know, every criminal, every, every time you watch a court show, what are they doing? They're up there with the most whacked out, made up stuff you ever heard. We had too many Twinkies that day, that's why he shot 47 people. It's a Twinkie defense, and he got off. The guy who had the Twinkie defense got off for eating too many Twinkies. The world we live in today wants to take no responsibility for anything. But here's the truth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is a judgment day coming. And we need to make sure that people know that you might get by with it here, but you're not going to get by with it ultimately, and you need to come to know our Savior. And so what's happening is this is what's happening with the children of Israel. And sadly, they're going to be those who, oh, it's okay. Yeah, you guys tried to, you tried to rape a Levite, and you tried to drag a man out, and you're, you're caught up in homosexuality. It's a total disaster there. And you know what? And then you hurt this woman, and you raped her unto death. But ah, it's okay. We still love you. Now, should we still love them? Yes. Should sin have consequences? Every single time. Now look what happens. Look what he says. It says here in verse 12. Then the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness? That has occurred among you. Now, therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men. Now, they probably get a lawsuit out of that. Defamation of character. You defamed me. You called me a perverted man. How dare you? That's in reference to the homosexuality, which is perverted. Amen? Now, do we love the homosexuals? What's the answer? Just like we love the adulterers and the fornicators and the drug addicts and everybody else, we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? But when we, we need to call sin what it is, instead of making excuses for it. This would be real popular on the radio, by the way. Now, it says, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death. He's, they go with a, a diplomacy message to start. Just give us Bin Laden. Let us kill him and his top guys. And we'll leave you alone. No, we're not doing it. Okay, bombs are coming. That's what happens, right? Well, the same thing is happening here. They go in with diplomacy. Give us the guys who did it, and we will put them to death, and we'll call it done. 
And sadly, they choose not to follow it. Because look what it says. And remove the evil from Israel. You know what? They were in rebellion, but they understood enough and were close enough to the time of walking with God that they remembered that leaving sin unchecked would bring evil upon the entire nation. And we leave evil unchecked, it brings evil upon our entire nation. Now, we're not saved because we walk in, in, in perfection and the whole world around us is perfect. No, but you know what? As Christians, we should be grieved by sin. And you've heard me say it, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. And we should be grieved by it, and it shouldn't be acceptable. It says, remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin, how do they respond? Look what they say. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Now turn over the butcher, says an outraged nation. But the Taliban, I mean, but, the, but Benjamite said, no. We will not, says a rebellious people, as they protect evil. The men of Benjamin should have dealt with this evil themselves. They should have said, we'll bring them to you and we'll help you says this in Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, we live in a country today, as long as I'm naming names, let's name some. You know, the ACLU, the people for the American way. They're about the most un-American people on the planet. Because what do they defend? The most ungodly, unrighteous, unholy acts, and they spend all their money trying to get God out of everything. Who do they defend? Those who need to be judged. They represent people who should be put away for their crimes, but they attempt to set them free. They stand for evil, they come against what is good. Guys, when we defend those who are, have been caught up in sinful behavior, it's not right. Again, do we forgive them? Every time. Can God restore them? Absolutely. Does sin have consequences? You better believe it. Deliver them up to righteous punishment. Don't defend their actions. You've heard me say this. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. You can make excuses. You can accuse others. Or you can repent. You're driving down the freeway. The cop pulls you over. Nobody else is driving just the same speed as me. Right? Accuse others. God was on my dumb bumper. I had to speed up. Accuse others. If you got children, they're real good at that. Who broke the lamp? Right? We can make excuses. Well, it was late. I had to get there. Make excuses. Or we can say, you're right. I was speeding. Right? When confronted with sin, make excuses, accuse others, or repent. But repent means to confess and accept the consequences. Years ago, I had a young man in my youth group in Southern California. And I'd actually moved to San Jose for about six months. I was down there visiting. He had called me, and I, he came in to meet with me at the church office, even though I hadn't been at that church in six months. And he pulled me into his office, and he confessed to me that three months earlier, in a gang-related situation, he had shot and killed somebody. And said, Pastor Dave, what do I do? I said, first thing we need to do is call your parents. You need to confess it to them. And then we need to go down to the police station, and you need to confess it to them. But Pastor Dave, I'll go to jail. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. If we cover up people's behavior, are we doing them any favors? What's the answer? We're condoning it. Now, he was repentant. He turned himself in. And you know what? He got 25 to life. Now, 
I've, I've exchanged letters with him. He's going to Bible study in prison. He's led people to the Lord. God's doing a work through him. That's his mission field. But what we don't want to do is then say, well, because you're related to me, let's just overlook your sin. Because you're a friend of mine, well, let's not tell the police. Romans 13 says so to submit to the authority God has placed over us. Amen? Amen? Teaching our kids the wrong thing, we attempt to cover their sin to avoid its consequences. Making Jesus and His truth first is the best thing we can do for our kids. Make Him first and suffer the consequences. And you know what? You need to do the same thing. Amen? If you get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing, you let your kids see that there are consequences for you and that you fess up. Sometimes the best testimony you can give them. So dealing with depravity, look, notice instead of submitting to God's righteous judgment, they're going to defend them, and now look, they're even going to mount up for war. They'd rather go to war than admit the sinful behavior of their own family. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together, verse 14, from their cities to Gibeah to go into battle against the children of Israel. Now this is their family. They're going to go into full-on battle with their family rather than confess their own sinful behavior. Now maybe that relates to somebody in this room. Maybe you've got family members you've been fighting with for years because you just won't fess up that you're wrong. Maybe it's time to fess up. Matter of fact, not maybe, it is time to fess up. Amen? It's time to call them up and say, you know what, I was wrong. Forgive me. And don't let the enemy use that as a wedge. And it says here, to give you to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who numbered 700 select men. Among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed, and everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So they had some elite guys in this troop, and they're going to need them, because there's going to be 40,000 guys, as we saw earlier, who are going to be set aside just to take care of the provisions for the people. That leaves 360,000 children of Israel to go into battle against 26,700 guys. And we're going to see that the children of Israel go about it the right way, but even as they go about it the right way, it's not always easy. Now it's interesting, just a side note. The word there, not miss, at a hair's breadth and not miss. You know what that word is? Sin. It's where we get the word sin. You go from Hebrew to Greek. It's where we get the word sin. You know why? Because the word sin is an archery term. It's how much we miss perfection by. Missing the mark is sinning. The bullseye is perfection and where you land is called the sin distance. The distance between perfection and where you are. And guys, Jesus is perfection. And whether you miss by a foot or a million miles, and it's probably closer to the latter number, we've all missed the mark, haven't we? And it's interesting that they talk about a marksman here and they use the very same word that we've translated in the New Testament Greek as the word sin. It's that same word. So these select men who couldn't miss with a sling. And you know, you might not think that's a big deal, but you can ask Goliath about that. <laughs> Somebody's good with a slingshot, they can do some serious damage. But again, we know who's in control. It's God and not these men. Verse 17. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of war. That means they weren't just 400,000 guys laying around they handed a sword to. These guys were trained men ready for battle. And they're going to go out and fight 
against the Benjamites. This is so tragic. This did not have to happen if they would simply submit to the Lord and allow those who had sinned to face the consequences of their actions. But instead, the entire nation is going to war instead. Instead of letting God be on the throne and being obedient to Him. Unity apart from the truth is not godly. Unity at all costs is not good. Could they have just been unified here and agreed to disagree and just let the guys go? What's the answer? Yes, but we don't unify around ungodliness. Amen? That's one of the things today when you see you know, people, you know, oh, we should just accept all religions as long as they're sincere. No, we should love all the people. All of them. Amen? All of them. But do we accept their belief system? Absolutely not. Because it leads to destruction. But you're not, you know, you're being divisive. No, we're not. We're, we're pointing them to the truth in love. Amen? And we absolutely should be doing that. Then it says, verse 18, Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. Now this is good. Isn't this good? These guys know what, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. These guys have gathered together and before they go fight the battle, they go ask God for some direction. Wow! What Satan means for evil, God will use for good. Amen? They go and seek the Lord. But you know what? I have an idea their motivation wasn't what it could have been or should have been, and we'll find out why. But in the end, God's going to take these circumstances and do great things. Look what it says. And they said, Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. Now notice one thing. They didn't ask God whether they should go. They didn't ask God for His will. They gave God a choice. When you pray, don't give God choices. Don't say, Lord, should I take this or do that? Maybe God's got a whole other plan. We're limiting God when we give God choices. Amen? Can I, should I marry this person? Neither might be His answer. None of them. Don't do that. We should come before the Lord and say, Lord, what is your will? What is your will? And God, is going, seeing their heart, is going to teach them to become more desperate for Him, because we're going to see that's how we really deal with depravity. So thirdly, dealing with depravity, Israel is going to make a stand for what is right and still suffer defeat. And we're going to learn that God allows us to suffer defeat that we might be brought back to a place of desperation, brokenness, and repentance. God allow us to go through some tough times that we might get our eyes back on Him. Let's take a look at verse 19. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped at Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves into a battle raid to fight against them at Gibeah. Gibeah the city, again, where the unrighteous, perverted men were. Then the children of Benjamin came out to Gibeah and on that day cut down 22,000 men of the Israelites. Now wait a minute. We went and asked God for direction. We said, who go first? Judah. Judah was the one who led them to the wilderness. He said, Judah, you go first. We went out there and led the way. We mounted up to fight them, and they cut down 22,000 of our guys. Now, here's what I am blessed by. They could have run back to God and said, well, wait a minute, God. What was that about? Have you ever done that? You pray and ask God. He gives you direction. You go, and then it falls apart. And you're like, well, Lord, what was that? I didn't really like that advice too much. That wasn't very good. But praise God they didn't do that. Having suffered defeat, they didn't quit. They didn't blame God. Instead, they came back, and this is good. And the people, verse 22, 
that as the men of Israel encouraged themselves and again formed a battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. Now that's pretty clear. He asked them first, Judah first, they went, 22,000 guys died. He comes back and asks him again, should we go? He said, yeah, go. Now look what happens. Verse 24. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day, and, the, and Benjamin went out against Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. They didn't quit. They asked God's counsel. He told them to go. They went and 18,000 more soldiers died. What is going on here? They're doing God's will. It's righteous judgment against evil Gibeah that's commanded in the word of God. They're following God's command, and the result is 40,000 people are dead. Interesting that 40 in the Bible is a number of testing or trials. Right? How many days did it rain? 40 days, 40 nights. How many days is the Lord tempted in the wilderness? 40. You can go on and on and on. Okay, now. Often there's a great cost to doing what is right. I want to make that very clear. Joseph did what was right. Where did he end up? Prison. Daniel did what was right. Where did he end up? Lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what was right. Where did he end up? Fiery furnace. David did what was right and ended up ducking spears from his own king. Paul did what was right, went to jail, was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, was bit by a snake, suffered hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness, poverty, besides all the other things that came upon him daily. And he was obeying God. You're like, man, I don't think I want to obey. (laughs) Guys, the key is not our comfort, but God's glory. And in the end, that's what needs to be the end result. And that's what God is doing here. Because it's not... God's victory my way, it's God's victory God's way. Amen? His way, we always grow. We become more like Him. And God had something He wanted to do in Israel. 40,000 dead, the number of testing. How would Israel respond? Would they murmur against God? Would they trust Him? Would they seek His face? Let's read on. We're going to finish this. People in the children's ministry are dying right now. Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat before the Lord and they fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Has something changed? They started fasting, which is a mark of brokenness and humility. They offered burnt and peace offerings, something they may have not done for years. They said, we need to make sacrifice. We need to be redeemed. We need to get right with God. They saw their need for redemption. Verse 27. The children of Israel acquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. They went before the ark where the presence of Almighty God was. And then it says in verse 28, And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, the high priest. And they asked him, shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. That's a better word, isn't it? 
But how did, it, how did they get there? They got to the place of being humble, broken, desperate, seeing their need for redemption before God, coming and having the priest intercede on their behalf, and they were totally reliant upon the Lord. Where before, it's 400,000 against 26,700. We can take care of these guys. Well, we'll go ask God for his opinion, but we're going to go, we're going to whoop up on them. And you know what? If they had won the first time or even the second time, they might have been taking the glory. They might have come back and said, yeah, those Benjamites got no idea who they were messing with, right? But now that they've gotten smoked twice, 40,000 dead guys, and they've come before God broken and humble before Him, who's going to get the glory now? God will get the glory. God needs to bring us to a place where He's going to get the glory, amen? So isn't it better just to humble yourself right now? So He doesn't have to? Amen? They inquired of the Lord. They sought God. These are very awesome things. They came to Him in humility and brokenness. Go up for tomorrow. Again, not just about growing physically, but growing spiritually. Now watch what happens as Israel defeats them. Again, the source of our victory we will see in these verses. Look at 29. Then Israel sent men in ambush all about Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day. And they put themselves in battle array against Gibeah at, as at the other times. You know, they went the same way, but this time God was on their side. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And they began to strike down and kill some of the people as at other times in the highways. One of which goes up to Bethel, the other to Gibeah. And in the field, about 30 men of Israel. So they killed about 30 men as they were chasing them out. There's a brief summary and then it gets in more detail in a moment. And the children of Benjamin said, they, have de- they are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highway. So the children of Benjamin have won two battles. They're fighting another one. They've killed 30 guys so far. The children of Israel are running away from them. They think they've won again. Verse 32, 33. So all the men of Israel rose from their place. And put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And 10,000 select men from all of Israel came against Gibeah. And the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. That, underline that if you have a Bible where you underline stuff. The Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. And this is true of everybody who's walking in their own strength. Everybody's walking in their own strength. Everybody who thinks they can do it their way. Everybody thinks they can do it without the Lord. There's disaster coming quickly and they have no idea that it's coming. But you know what? We ought to be the ones warning them. And sharing the truth that they don't have to face that disaster. So it says there in verse 34, verse 35, The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites, all that drew the sword. Now he's going to go into detail. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush who they had set against Gibeah. Do you know what? This is interesting. They followed the exact same detail of victory that was used back in Joshua against Ai that has been pattern and followed by people like Napoleon. This was a military strategy that's been used ever since. You draw them out, you get them to chase you, and then you ambush them. It came from the Bible. God used it. Then it says, 
spread out, struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Verse 38. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 men of Israel. Now again, these are more details of what he said before. They said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first time. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. They thought they were winning. They turned around and the whole city they just walked out of was on fire. They'd been drawn out of the city. The children of Israel had gone in. They had set what city on fire? Gibeah. Who lived in Gibeah? The perverted men. The men he had asked for, to be turned over and to be judged. Now that whole city was on fire. If we don't come before God broken now, there's a fire that's coming. Amen? And my prayer would be that nobody in this room would have to experience it. And it says there, verse 41, And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. It was a Benjamite sandwich. Here what happened. That all the people behind them and the people in front of them that were running away now turned around, started running back. The people were running at them and they were like, oh, we're in trouble. Disaster came upon them. Once brave, once prideful, once unwilling to submit to righteous judgment, they're now going to be running away. Look what it says, last few verses. They surrounded the Benjamites, verse 43, and chased them and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell as they were on the valor. Men of valor. Men that were in the battlefield died. Verse 45. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon. And they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidom and killed 2,000 of them. So all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. There's not very many guys left. They killed 25,000 out in this battlefield. But remember, there were some still back in the city that died too, right? They only had 26,700 to begin with. You know how many guys they got left? 600. You know, it's interesting. When they numbered the tribe of Benjamin earlier, it was 45,000 men. Now it's down to 600. This is what happens when we turn our eyes off of God. And look what it says, verse 47. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, and they stayed at the rock of Rimon for four months. They were prideful. They were unwilling to honor God. They're unwilling to confront sin, and now they're living on the rocks. Their family and their friends have been destroyed. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And Israel, on the other hand, had gained the victory, not through patriotic, you know, patriotic flag-waving. How did they win it? Through humility, brokenness, repentance, and desperation. That's how they won the battle, right? They came before the Lord and they fasted. They came before the Lord and they sought intercession with Almighty God. They came before the Lord and they made sacrifice. We want to see things change in our country. Again, I'm, I'm a big a flag waver as there is, but you know what? It's not waving flags that's going to transform this country. It's brokenness before Almighty God that's going to change this country. We want to see things transform. We need to get on our knees. We want to see morals change. We need to get right with God. There needs to be repentance. 
Now, guys, we shouldn't expect the world to repent. We can pray for them too, but you know who absolutely needs to repent? God's people. Us. Amen? We need to look first at the sin in our own lives. We shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world, acts like they don't know God. But as Christians, we must begin by looking at ourselves. Be humble, be broken, be repentant over our own sin. Remove the depravity from our own homes. There's stuff in your house that you wouldn't want Jesus to see, neither should you. If there's a movie that you can't put your five-year-old on your lap and watch it with them, you ought to snap it in half and pitch it in the garbage. Oh, Pastor Dave getting legalistic now. But the truth is, if we're going to honor God, let's honor Him all the way. What are we really missing out on when we get rid of that stuff? What are we missing? Really? Nothing. Doesn't God have stuff way better anyway? And again, my personal opinion, this is your pastor's opinion. Okay, Pastor Dave, I just stepped over here. Pastor Dave's opinion, all right? I think the only music we ought to listen to is Christian music. Because why did God create music? To worship Him, right? Well, this music's not that bad. But you know what? Is it drawing you closer to the Lord? You get out of the car listening to worship music all day, it's going to change the way you go to work. Amen? You probably won't yell at the guy that cuts you off. It's going to change everything. You're going to enter into the presence of God, and that's where we need to be, isn't it? Broken and repentant before Him. If we don't reflect Jesus in our Christian homes, how can we expect it to be reflected in an ever-growing and more deprived nation? We must remember what God has done for us. It's interesting, and I'll close with this. I know I went over a little, but... What was it that got everybody's attention? It was a body broken, abused, and bloodied. And it got everyone's attention. What is it that ought to get our attention back where it needs to be? His body broken, abused, it's interesting that he says at the, at the Lord's Supper, the, at the Last Supper, this is my body broken for you. And he hands it out in pieces. Again, they were outraged by it and it caused them to get their eyes back on God. And at the cross of Christ, it ought to get our eyes back on him every single time. And we should never, ever take it for granted. Jesus took our sin. He was beaten, scourged, mocked, crucified. His body was broken. All that we might be forgiven. That we might stand as one before Him. We can't say God bless America and do what is right in our own eyes. Because God will not bless disobedience. Amen? We can't sit here and cry out God bless America and bless us in our sinful, wicked behavior. It's Lord, help us turn our eyes back on you so you can bless America again. Help us to fall in love with you and to seek your face. May we walk in obedience and shine brightly in a land of depravity. So how do we overcome? How do we deal with depravity? How can you and I defeat depravity in our own lives? How can we impact it by each of us being broken and humble and desperate and repentant before a great and gracious God who wants us to be? And doesn't he just want to bless us? Doesn't He just want to use us? Doesn't He want to bless our country again? Absolutely. And it doesn't start by getting a bigger flag on my porch. Nothing wrong with that. But it starts when we're repentant before Almighty God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, 
than in the midst of our own depravity, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that He was broken on our behalf. He was, he was abused and He allowed it to happen because He loves each one of us. Father, I pray if we're living lives of depravity where we've just chosen to sin and we've accepted it as okay behavior, Lord, I pray that even tonight we would get right with You. We come back before You, broken and fasting and desperate and saying, Lord, forgive us. Restore us to a right relationship with You. Lord, we know Your grace is sufficient. We can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. And Lord, I pray everyone tonight who's walked away from you in any measure would walk back tonight. And Lord, we do lift up our country to you. We thank you for our country. We thank you for the freedoms that we have here. We thank you for the Christian nation we were founded as, Lord. But I pray in Jesus' name that we would become a godly nation once again. And Lord, may it start in our hearts first. May we not be ashamed of you. May we not try to be politically correct and water it down and dial down your message and try to be popular before men, but Lord, may we be faithful to our Savior. Lord, I pray everyone would know that we're your kids. Lord, not because we shout about you, but Lord, that we live for you. And people would see Jesus in the way that we treat one another, the way we love one another. Father, we lift up our president to you and ask in Jesus' name your hand would be upon him as well. All those you placed in authority over us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're such a faithful God. May you be glorified in each of our lives. Lord, if there's things in our home that needs to go, show us, Lord. Not doing things out of legalism so that we'll somehow be more holy, but Lord, doing things out of love for you. Because, Lord, we don't want anything getting in between you and us. Because our relationship with you is far more important than how we're entertained or anything else. So, Father, we do love you. We praise you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.